Hey, Scarecasters. I hope you all had a good Thanksgiving. While you were feasting on turkey, ham, stuffing, mashed potatoes, another girl starved on this very day. She would come to the dinner table and her fork and knife would remain untouched. And she would stare at the food as if she had already had a full course meal. While everyone else at the dinner table stuffed their faces. How could she avoid such a gracious, tasty meal? We'll stick around for this bedtime story and find out. For a year, I thought my sister had an eating disorder. Turns out that I was wrong. Written by Rue Morgue. This is how it started. Last autumn, my younger sibling just stopped eating. Gradually at first, so that you wouldn't notice unless you were paying attention, which I, three years older, and her brother, at that, decidedly was not. Lita began by only half finishing her meals, avoiding breakfast and then stumbling into the habit of conveniently forgetting her lunch when she set off for school, or else claimed that she bought something at the cafeteria and never did. When our dad finally noticed the habit, he started dropping her off at the school gates so that he could watch her carry her food into the premises, which was a pointless venture, seeing as she'd dump it in the nearest trash can or give it to another student as soon as she could. And I didn't get involved then, figuring that if Lita wanted to go on a diet, then it was none of my business but she was never particularly heavy to begin with. And when the weight loss really got going, I started to wonder how I might bring it up without sending us both into an orbit of embarrassment. And eventually matters progressed to the point that the other kids at school started nudging each other in the corridor as she sauntered past. Lita oblivious, buried in her headphones, a hoodie perpetually half pulled down over her face. She was so gaunt by that point that I could probably have closed a hand around her thigh. And her cheeks had drawn in like some old folk art piece of a witch you'd see on someone's stoop around Halloween. And things had gotten bad at home too. Every mill was strung with thunderous tension ending in either screaming matches between Lita and my father over an untouched plate or else excruciating silence. Dad and I tried not to watch as my sister pushed the same forkful of potatoes around the edge of her plate. And the day I burst into the bathroom to find Lita spitting food into the toilet bowl was when I finally snapped. You gotta do something, Dad! I said cornering him in his home office. I was irritated by his mumbled excuses, his bloodshot avoidant eyes. She's gonna end up in a grippy sock ward if you don't get her some help. I understood, grudgingly, the agonizing position that my father was in. 
He'd wrangled every feminine issue from periods to the bra talk entirely alone, vanishing into his study afterwards with the expression of a man ready to put a noose around his neck and kick the chair from underneath. There were no female friends or relatives on call for such occasions. My mother had died of an aggressive bone cancer when I was 10, passing only a month after her diagnosis. She was gone so abruptly that it was like watching the epilogue of a documentary. A blink and you'll miss it caption statement. Where are they now? Black screen, end tape, too fast for any of us to feel our grief in its full gravity or to prepare ourselves for the years of unrelenting misery to come. And somehow, Lita had always held on to her memories of mom better than I had. You remember that time she drove us all the way to work before she realized we were still in the back of the car and they let us stay in the office? <laughs> or remember that time she came trick-or-treating with us and ended up with more candy than we did because that one weird neighbor kept flirting with her saying that she looked like our big sister all that i had left of our mother were the palest fragments like how tall she was or the sound of her goffling laugh the tattoo of a wolf on her arm that she got it when she was 16 that i used to tell her looked cross-eyed when really it was so faded that you couldn't make out the face at all but I guess Lita really needed Mom more. And that was why those recollections stuck. That or I merely found it easier not to remember the best times of our lives because I knew that would never come again. Months passed and Lita didn't get any better. Although she and my father had figured out some kind of understanding between them that he wouldn't make her sit at the dinner table anymore. She began to skip school a lot, hiding out in her room or at the houses of a few other kids with problems that she'd fallen in with. And I could see Lita drifting further and further away into the sad and hungry thing that was taking her. And I didn't realize how deeply it was getting to me until one day I went through a collage of older pictures of us together on my phone and I burst into tears. We were close when we were kids, inventing all kinds of made-up games with a host of imaginary friends that each had their own names and backstories. Even mom and dad used to play along, sometimes getting into it even more than we did. And it's hard to say when that intimacy ended, whether it was the usual brother and sister growing apart phenomenon or something more. Lita never stopped being the weird kid, and I ended up in the popular crowd. I'd been relieved that she kept her old oddball friends, the nerds, the theater kids, the goths, a universe apart from me. But looking at those old pictures before Lita got sick, she was apple-cheeked, throwing up peace signs and rock-on gestures in every frame, it sent me into such a realms of mourning that I thought I might never come out of. I moped around for weeks, at a loss as to what to do with myself. And then on an otherwise normal Thursday evening, the cops came around, 
wanting to speak to my dad and Lita. And after that, my sadness unfolded into something else. I remember hovering in the kitchen doorway, eavesdropping as an officer that looked like an aged out surfing instructor, asked questions in hushed tones about a day last October before Lita's illness began. My sister sat, staring at the gravel chips of her fleshless knees, glazed-eyed as a lobotomy patient, mumbling infrequent answers as my dad twitched with panicked, neurotic restlessness, his narrow ratfish features greasy with sweat. I had no idea about any of this, he kept repeating, as the officer looked blandly unconvinced. As it transpired, Lita wasn't in any trouble. Rather, the trouble happened to her. One afternoon, my sister had taken a shortcut from home to school through the same sketchy scrub of forest that some of the kids at school called Shitney Land, rumored to be a popular spot for drug dealers and those interested in outdoor sex. And being that it was still broad daylight, Lita hadn't anticipated running into anything. And like most teenagers would think, she thought she'd turn up unscathed, even if there was people around. But there had been a man there, acting strangely. Lita had kept up a brisk walk past him was almost out of the area when the stranger had put a hand on her shoulder, pulling her back into the trees, into the dark. The details were as frank and as undecorated as that, their baldness as vicious as a slap. Apparently there had been some description given of the man, however, for he had been recently seen again in the area. The police wanted to know if Lita could help with the investigation. The worst thing about that living room talk was the absolute chaotic awkwardness of it all. My father, stuttering and blinking like he shot up some time in the past half hour. Our sheepdog Brittany leaping around everyone's legs, yapping in joyous obliviousness to the severity of the situation and Lita, picking at the skin around her fingernails, staring through the floor, an unyielding mute. If it had gone on another minute, I would have screamed. I felt it in the trembling of my fist at my sides. And in the end, I burst out of the kitchen and ushered the office from the house glaring back over my shoulder as my father darted into his office with a bleakly comical velocity. The minute the cop was out of the front door, I went to sit by my sister on the couch, watching her tiny jaw tense against the interrogation she'd evidently sensed would come. Who the hell is this creepy fucking guy? I asked, as gently as I could, given that I was trembling with rage. I swear, if I find him, I'll knock his fucking teeth down his throat. Lita glanced up, 
her vague eyes sharp with a sudden agitation. I'll always remember how quickly they changed. The pupils eating the irises like dying stars. The blue gone to black. Don't, she said firmly. Just leave it alone, Johnny, all right? She looked frail and feral, almost. Her hands like little fox claws in her lap. Yet in some strange way, I was scared of her. The way I remembered being frightened of my mother. In the end, screaming at the nurses to be allowed to die in her own terms as the cancer gnawed through her hollow bones. There's a ferocity in people that are that close to death. An indignant anger at the degradation of mortal suffering that drives them mad. And I knew, looking at my sister then, how serious her illness was, and felt myself engulfed in such a desperation that I sat for a long time in silence, aware of her vast, black, lunatic's eyes upon me. Then I got up to confront my father, an advent that had now become a grim routine. You're fucking asshole! I snapped, kicking the wheels of his computer chair as he sat, wincing with his back to me. You knew what happened way before that cop turned up, right? And you didn't do anything? You let things get this bad? You don't know what I've been doing? My father protested, holding up his hands in submission. Lita hasn't gotten any worse recently. I'm trying everything that I can. And at that moment, I hated him. This thin mockery of an adult with this blotchy, balding scalp, all blundering anxiety. His flapping inability either to seek justice for my sister or to help her eat. And as far as I was concerned, my father sat idle at his computer as she cliff-dived into wounding obsession. And that had been perhaps the reason that Lita had taken that dangerous road home, lacking the parental steering that might have set her on another path. I'll never forgive you for this, I snarled, unmoved by the cringing servility of my father's eyes. And I bet Lita won't either. Your shitty dad. I marched out of the room, slamming the door so hard against the wall that it dented the plaster. That night I had the worst night's sleep I'd known since I was 10 years old, wanting my dead mother in the night. I dreamed of her, mainly, drifting snapshots of her smiling in a white bed that became flowers, that became earth, kissing me until my face came away like ash in her mouth. And sometimes I even dreamt of Lita, a little girl lost in fathomless trees, beckoned down to their roots by a figure I couldn't quite see. And from time to time, I'd jolt half awake as though I'd tripped over an unseen step before plummeting back into another weird slumber, repeating the pattern so many times that I can't be sure if I was ever really awake at all. Another dream, again of my mother, tall as a drifting balloon and just as weightless, tearing off the head of a beaming orderly 
with their teeth in silent slow motion. This image unsettled me in particular. Something about the beatific nature of the killing. The detail of my mother's face, clearer then to me than it had ever been in my memory. And it was at that time when I awoke, and I didn't go back to sleep. Getting out of bed with such haste that the blankets wrapped around my ankle and almost tripped me. Half laughing at my dozy absence of coordination, I decided to make a trip to the bathroom. If only to splash my face and have a rousing word with myself in the mirror. It was as I stepped out across the landing that I saw the door to Lita's room was open. The space within, though dark, was clearly empty. Most likely she'd either gotten up to make herself secretly sick or else she snuck out to see one of her weird new friends. Both had happened before and I regretted not having tried to intervene. Running a hand through my hair, I turned back to my room, intending to get dressed and head out in search of her. And then I heard it. A groan of pain. More like a bovine lowing than any human sound. It was coming from the direction of my father's bedroom. And as a muttered, indistinct word followed, I understood that he was not alone. I stopped in the hallway, my gut a pit of sour consternation. Dad hadn't found any other partner after my mother and was too chronically shy to attempt the dating world all over again. If there was another person in his room with him, then it could only be my sister. And I knew that I could not, in good faith, leave her alone if one of them was hurt or unwell. Another blight on the family. Such possibilities, my sister was dying, like my mother. She was lost to us, a spirit in the trees. And this nudged at me as I stepped towards the door, breathing their sickly warmth against the back of my neck. I did not let it in. My mind a careful blank as I wrapped my fist around the knob and peered into the room. And there, two figures were together in the semi-dark, colored only by the nauseous tungsten light of my father's bedside lamp. My dad lay across the mattress, white as a pig's belly, and perspiring so heavily that the air was thick with his unwashed reek. And my sister crouched before him, her face pressed into his gleaming skin. Hair fell about her slender back in damp, filthy clumps. And as she half turned at the sound of my entry, the fractious motion was like a clay figure in a poorly done stop motion picture. I fell sideways against the door, my balance capsized by the bilious horror. What the fuck is this? It's not what you think, Jonathan. My dad protested weakly, though not even attempting to rise from the bed towards me. After what happened, it's the only way. 
I've been doing this for months. I tried to hide it. She asked me to. At first I said no, but I, I had to give in. I'm losing my mind. You've got to believe me. He pushed Lita ineffectually, unable to dislodge her from him with all of his strength. It was only when I said my sister's name that she looked up, her eyes drenched in the black of that afternoon, and I saw that her face wore a grin of blood, that her little feral hands were slick with it, and one of my dad's veins was open seeping its contents in a lazy cloud through the sheets. She's been eating, said my father warily. In her own way, she's been eating all along. Well, it seems like her dad was quite a tasty meal all of this time. Did you expect that to be the ending? I feel so bad for the dad. He definitely needs help. Well, that's all for this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and a review if you're on Apple Podcast or a rating on Spotify. And make sure you share to a friend who likes scary stories. I'd also love to hear from you to see what you thought about this episode. Please comment your thoughts on my Instagram post announcing this episode and let's talk about what you thought. If you got any scary stories you want to share, my email is mike at thescarecast.com or you can reach out to me on Instagram or TikTok at thescarecast. As always, be safe out there. And until next time.